Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. All failed. And then the king said to Daniel, verse 26, I'm reading from the Amplified, whose name was Belteshazzar. Are you able to make known to the king the dream which I have seen and the interpretation of it? And Daniel answered the king, The mysterious secret which the king has demanded, neither the wise men, enchanters, magicians, nor astrologers can show the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what it shall be, watch this, in the latter days. Everybody say latter days. Touch your neighbor, say pay attention to this. He says, latter days, watch again, I'm reading it from the episode, what it shall be in the latter days at the end of days. He's talking about end times like we are, except he's going to tell you when the end times are, like I have continued to reiterate and show you over and over and over in the Scripture, that the last days are not in our future. They are in our past, and that we need to lose a last day mentality and get a new day mentality. We need to lose an old covenant paradigm and start to learn how to operate in the new covenant and in the kingdom of God. And when Paul wrote to Timothy and told him, you need to learn how to rightly divide the word of truth, he wasn't talking about you need to understand Greek and Hebrew. He was talking about you need to understand what is truth in relationship to which covenant you're under. That's rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, hallelujah. See, the reason we still have mixture in the church in America is because we still, what's amazing to me is that we are 2,000 and some years into the new covenant. And at best, we're a mixture of two covenants. Well, help me. I don't want to make nobody mad. We're still running around worried about red heifers and prayer shawls. We're trying to get people to go back to Judaism. And the whole New Testament was to try to get them to come out of it. I felt that come back. There was a little kick back there. But what I'm telling you is that the new covenant is not an addendum to the old one. It is not Jesus plus. It's a completely different covenant. And learning how to rightly divide. The old covenant was about a law you had to keep. And the new covenant is about receiving a life that will keep you. The old covenant, you functioned out of rules, and in the new covenant, you live out of a relationship. In the old covenant, you got people to do stuff through fear. In the new covenant, we learn to live by faith. Are you you tracking with me? Learning how to rightly divide the word of truth. And there's a, I know there's a lot of radical stuff and a lot of mess in it. But the truth of it is, is that we are really, I believe, in a gospel revolution where God is beginning to wake some folks up to say, wait a minute, listen. If, you know, uh, Paul tells them in one place, he said, you, you, you that are bent on being under the law, do you hear what the law really says? See, these guys were not being uh, uh, cru- uh, crucified and persecuted because they're telling you, get your ticket. Go to heaven. They're being persecuted because they they announced there's another king in town. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. That Moses is not in charge. Jesus is in charge. Come on, something that we're not under those rules any longer. We're under this relationship. A new set. Are you are you tracking? That was so radical of a shift. 
that persecution was coming to them for teaching like that. I think sometimes we think we've been persecuted. We, we ain't seen nothing like these guys. And see, there's, 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 I, I sometimes think I read stuff on Facebook. I think, you know what? Do you think the apostles of old would have died for that mess? They probably wouldn't even took time to read it. <laughs> but what you would be willing to die for is what they were proclaiming, and that was freedom and liberty in the kingdom of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that was coming on the scene that had the power to transform lives and to bring about God's purpose in the earth and to fill the earth with His glory and His image and to see God's kingdom expand, not just when we get there, but to invade the earth because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He tells them in Psalm 2, Ask of me and I will give you the heathen for your inheritance and the uttermost part of the earth for your possession. So Daniel is in this position where he is now being asked by the king, tell me what this dream is. And he goes on to say, he has made known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, this is verse 28, what it shall be in the last days, the end of days. Your dream and visions in your head upon your bed are these. As for you, O king, as you were lying upon your bed, thoughts came into your mind about what should come to pass hereafter. And he who reveals secrets was making known to you what shall come to pass? But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than anyone else living, but in order that the interpretation may be known unto the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart and mind. You, O king, saw, behold, there was a great image. This image was mighty and exceedingly great brightness stood before you. The appearance of it was frightening and terrible. As for this image, its head was of fine gold. The breast, as, uh, the breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay, the baked clay of the potter. As you looked, a stone was cut out, of the, out without human hands, which smote the image on its feet of iron and baked clay of the potter and broke them to pieces. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 3 through 8 tells you who that stone was. That stone was the stone who the builders rejected, who was the, stump, the stone of offense and the stumbling block to them. How many know he was Jesus, none other? Come on, how many know he's talking about here? The stone cut out of the mountains was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Touch your neighbor, tell him you're a chip off the old block. Because watch this. He saw, the, he saw this, this, he saw this uh, a stone cut out of the mountain without human hands, which smote the image on its feet. Broke them to pieces. Then the iron, the baked clay of the potter, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were like uh, broken and crushed together, became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away so that there was not a trace of them could be found. And the stone that smote the image, I love this, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain or rock and filled the whole earth. This is, when I say victorious eschatology, I mean victorious eschatology. Because the king is seeing what the end is going to be, and he said, there's a rock coming. His name is Jesus. You're a chip off the old block. But these pieces are becoming a great mountain, and they're going to fill the whole earth. So that here Jesus starts teaching the kingdom. He said, here's what the kingdom is like. It's like a leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until the whole thing was infected. 
For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. His name shall be called the Wonderful, the Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Somebody said to me, Brother Hawes, you don't believe in a one-world government? Yes, I do, but I believe in the one that's on his shoulders. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and the kingdom of God will cover the earth. That's prophetic declaration of what would happen is that the kingdom of God would be what ultimately wins out. See, that's not talking about us going to the kingdom. That's talking about the kingdom coming. And when the scrap, even the scribes and Pharisees stood before Jesus in Luke chapter 17, they said, when will the kingdom come? He didn't say, Lord, when are we going to the kingdom? He said, when will the kingdom come? And Jesus' answer was, it doesn't come with observation, outward show, or open display. The word there is the same word that's used in Galatians where Paul said, I'm afraid of you because you go back up under the law and you observe laws and feasts and months. In other words, he's saying the kingdom is not coming through old covenant observances. It's coming through the power of the Holy Spirit as an indwelling reality inside of you because the stone the builders rejected has now become the head of the corner. Are you tracking with me? And then he goes on to say, he goes on to say that it would cover, the whole, it would fill the whole earth. This was the dream, and we will tell the interpretation of it to the king. You, O king, are the king of earthly kings, to whom the God of heaven has given kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, and the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, he has given unto you into your hand, and he has made you rule over them all. You, king of Babylon, are the head of gold. Everybody say, Babylon is the head of gold. You, king of Babylon, are the head of gold. And after you shall arise another kingdom, the Medo Persian, the Medo Persian inferior to you. How many of the Medo Persian kingdom was what was in power when Esther was on the scene? And it was under Darius the Media, it was the Persians who also gave the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem in the book of Ezra. Are you tracking with me? So here, the second kingdom that this image would be, this image of the beast would be, is it would be the Medo-Persian kingdom, and still a third kingdom of bronze, Greece, under Alexander the Great, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom, Rome, shall be strong as iron, since iron breaks to pieces and subdues all things, and like the iron which crushes, it shall break and crush all these." And as you saw that the feet and the toes partly of baked clay of the potter and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but there shall be in it some of the firmness and strength of the iron, just as you saw the iron mixed with miry earth and clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of baked clay of the potter, the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle and partly broken. And as you saw the iron mixed with miry and earth and clay, so they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men in marriage bonds, but they shall not hold together, for two such elements or ideologies can never harmonize, even as iron does not mingle itself with clay. Now, here's, let, me, let, let me just let me review here. Head of gold, Babylon. The next kingdom, Persia. Third kingdom, Greece, Alexander the Great. Fourth kingdom, Rome. Now, this is important. See the, see the digression. See, this is the history of Israel. They were carried away captive by Babylon, then the Persians, then the Greeks. And now, when Jesus comes on the scene, Rome is in power. So the fourth kingdom was Rome. 
Are you tracking with me? Watch this, because that's important. The fourth kingdom was Rome. But in verse 44 says, And the days of these final ten kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and its sovereignty be left to another people, but it shall break and crush and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And just as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountains without hands, and that it broke in pieces, the iron and the clay, just as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known. Go ahead and to the king, what shall come to pass hereafter? The dream is certain, and the interpretation of it is sure. He goes on to tell you what he's calling you. This He's telling the king, here's what's going to happen in the latter days. This is the vision you've had. You king of Babylon are the first one. After you is going to come the Persians. After you is going to come the Greeks. After you is going to come the Romans. This is the vision of what's going to transpire. You know, if I wasn't a believer, if I was not a believer, the fact that somebody could foretell to detail, and we're going to see a lot more details, the fact that somebody could foretell the detail of what kings would be in power and what would happen way before they ever happened would be a convincing thing to me. With great precision and great detail, you could tell me what was going to happen in the future and just out, I mean, just like a time clock. Babylon, Persians. Greeks, now the Romans. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the Roman Empire, the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom which will not be destroyed. In the middle of the Roman Empire, the rock cut out of the mountains, his name is Jesus, walked up on the bank of the Jordan River, and the king of the kingdom just stood up. Come on, somebody. The stone the builders rejected, who's now going to become the head of the corner, is beginning to declare, repent, the kingdom is at hand. What are you saying? I'm trying to tell you the kingdom is alive and well on planet Earth and has been alive and well ever since Jesus came on the scene, and it is like leaven. Do you know there are more people in that book that I told you about last night, Statistics? There are more people on this planet right now per capita that are believers in Jesus than there's ever been in human history. Well, thanks for getting excited about that. There is a massive revival going on right now among the Arabs. Jesus is literally appearing to some of these people in the Middle East and revival is breaking out in Arab countries. I received, I almost get tore up, I was telling Pastor Gavin about this last night, I almost get tore up even thinking about this. There's a guy that, that, that uh, uh, teaches a lot of my material in Arab churches all over, all over, uh, all over you know, the Arab nations. And he called me on the phone, he said, Dr. House, he said, I, I preach for these Arab churches, they're all watching your material, which just to, to me is amazing, the power of a, ca- a camera, the YouTube stuff and videos like this. And many of them, he said, have been converted from Islam to Christianity because of the stuff that you're teaching about the present reality of the kingdom of God. And he said, these people took up an offering. They want to give you an offering to show you their love and appreciation for you. And he said, they make about $150 a month. That's what their normal income. He said, they took up a $232 offering. And I said, Isa, I don't know if I can even receive that. Those people need that worse than I need it. He said, no, you don't understand. They want to show you their love and appreciation for your work in this field that has literally transformed their lives to set them free from the bondages. How many know religion can be one of the biggest enemies on the planet?
Come on, somebody. Ours and theirs, if it's not a reality of a Jesus, it is a present reality of the kingdom of God who comes to give you the best life on the planet. Righteousness, peace, and joy located in the Holy Ghost. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, God, God said, I want to give you as the days of heaven on earth. Jesus came to announce Oh, I feel like preaching this morning. I know it's early in the morning. But Jesus came to announce the kingdom. And when he came to announce the kingdom, he came to announce that, listen, I want to give you life and that more abundantly. And I want to say this as well. This might be a bit of a stretch for some of you. But Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Let me tell you that the word there, everlasting, means aeonian or the life of the coming age. Let me preface what I'm going to say by saying this. Say this with me. He believes eternal life includes going to heaven when you die. Do we have that settled? But see, eternal life is more than when you die, you get it. Eternal life in the context of what Jesus was talking about was the life of the coming age. What was the life of the coming age? Jesus said, this is life, Aeonian. This is the life of the coming age, that you might know God the Father and the Son. In other words, here's the life of the coming age, is that you could live life in the context of a father-son relationship, because under the old covenant you were slaves and servants, but I don't want slaves and servants, I want sons that are heirs of God and joint heirs that are going to participate in my new creation project. Vessels and vehicles that are a part of this stone cut out of the mountain without hands. And in the middle of Roman occupation, the final ten kings, Jesus stands up and announces the rock. He's the stone. He says, change the way you think. The kingdom is at hand. It is within your grasp. And he stood up in the middle of bad political upheaval, great persecution, and said, go get me the book of Isaiah. And they brought him the book of Isaiah, and he found the place where it was written, for the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to declare the acceptable year of the Lord and the year of the favor of our God. And Jesus got up in the middle of political upheaval and bad times and catastrophic stuff going on. And he didn't get up and say, doom and despair, and this is about to wind up. And boy, ain't it bad. The devil's big. And look how it's about to fall apart. He stood up and said, I'm going to preach favor when it don't look like favor. I'm going to prophesy to dry bones and tell them to live. I'm not going to tell them how dry they are, how bad they are. I'm going to preach a message of hope. Because I'm anointed to set at liberty them there. He's not talking to drug dealers on the street. He's talking to people who've been in church their whole life because they're beat up, bruised, battered, brokenhearted, disappointed because religion becomes a thief. It robs them of their life, their joy, their peace, their looks. Come on, somebody. Their romance, their, uh, their future, everything about it. See, I'm going to tell you that I think that what God is trying to do is give us the best life on the planet because Aeonian life or the life of the coming age is not a life of living in misery for 70 or 80 years. And then when I get there, I can be happy. 
The life of the coming age is God said, I want to give you back your life. I want to give you the abundant life, the best life on the planet. And even the things that he deals with in our lives that are not proper and correct, that are sin, are not because it gets us from here to there, but because it gets what's happening there to operate right here. Because when he says, they that do such things will not, keyword, inherit the kingdom, he wasn't talking about they which do such things are, are not going to go to heaven. He's talking about they're not inheriting the kingdom and their present everyday life right now. Oh, y'all ain't going to help me preach. Hallelujah. But here's the deal for me. See, if, if, if there's nothing beyond this, and I believe there is. I believe there is a heaven. I believe there's a hell. I, I believe, that, in other words, I, I believe there is a future beyond this. But if there was nothing but this, I would still do this. You know why? It's the best life on the planet. And you know what Jesus said? The life then becomes the light because God wants to not just us from here to there, his whole, his whole project is to bring about new creation. I am making all things new. And what God wants to do is restore his image back. See, our, our problem right now in all over the world is we are so confused about identity of every sort. But God wants to make us image bearers because his call is not just to get us from here to there. The whom he did for, no, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of the Son. And what is man? Come on, somebody. There's the question that's asked in Psalm. But whenever Jesus walks into the temple and stands before Pilate, he says, Behold. The man. That's the pattern. That's the project. That's the prototype. That's the firstborn of a brand new species. And when I got born again, I got regenerated. Oh, I'm probably going to make somebody mad today. But somebody said, well, I was born like this or I was born like that. So was I. But when I got born again, I got regenerated. I got a new DNA. I got new genes. Somebody help me preach. I got my daddy's genes in me. Hallelujah. The older I get, the more I look like my earthly father. Hallelujah. But can I tell you, the more, more mature I get in my spiritual man, the more I look like Abba. Hallelujah. That's the project. Are you tracking with me? And he tells them what's going to happen in the latter days. I've got a lot to cover here. Let's go to Daniel 9 with that thought. Let me say this as well. Could you bring up for me uh, the, the, the line of Caesar's charge while I'm here? Let me, let me grab this for a moment. Because when it is Rome that is in power during the time of the kingdom. Am I, am I making sense so far? We're good tracking with me. Can you bring up uh, my, my chart of the line of the Caesars? How many can see that, first of all, that these... these uh, that it was Rome that was in power when Jesus comes on the scene. Is that pretty clear there from Daniel 2? Babylon, Persia, the Greeks, Rome. The book of Revelation is written during that time of the king. One of the, one of the reasons, is this is in my book back there. There's a lot of stuff that in, is in that book back there on the book of Revelation. And this it wasn't in the first version of this, but in my revised version because I got so many challenges over the dating of the book of Revelation that we show 10 proofs why the book of Revelation was written prior to A.D. 70 and that it was about the siege of the Romans on Jerusalem to destroy the city and the temple in fulfillment of the prophecies of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have a version 
of the Olivet Discourse, which was the prophecy of Matthew 24, where Jesus stood up, talked about the Great Tribulation, the end of the world, or the end of the age, literally, and all the stuff that would happen. The Gospel of John does not have that version. The reason I believe the Gospel of John does not have the Olivet Discourse is because the book of Revelation is John's expanded version of the Olivet Discourse. It is the fulfillment. It is, if you see all of the stuff unfold, Jesus talks about wars and rumors of wars. The four horses of the apocalypse unfold just exactly like the prophecy of Jesus. The sealed book opens. Then you see 144,000 people saved. They're the first fruits among the Jews. In other words, they were the believers who literally grabbed the gospel and believed it. They were out of the 12 tribes of Israel. And you come on through the book and you see all of these catastrophes unfold that are very similar to the plagues that you found in Egypt. Because what God is trying to do is bring another exodus. Are you tracking with me? And so then when you start seeing these beasts, again, he's talking from the same perspective. And even Bible prophecy teachers will use the book of Daniel and lay it beside the book of Revelation, except they try to add to it parentheses theories and stuff like, well, this is a renewed Roman Empire, which there's no Bible for. That's all extra biblical. It happened because Daniel is prophesying this is what's going to happen in the biblical last days. Not the end of time, the time of the end. The time of what end? The time of the end of the old covenant. And here's one of the things. Go ahead, bring that chart back up and let me be able to see it as well. Bring the chart back of the Caesars. Here in the book of Revelation, it said they also, there are also... He tells them, here's the mind that has wisdom. That They are also seven kings. Five of them have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain only for a short season. If you go back to the Julian line of Caesars from the time of Jesus, there were five kings who had fallen. The first king was Julius Caesar from 49 to 44 B.C., Augustus from 27 B.C. to 80. I'm sorry, there was not from the time of Jesus, but there was five kings in the Julian line of Caesars. The Roman Empire. Are you still tracking with me? I'm trying to show you how all of this fits like a glove. So the first king that was fallen was Julius Caesar. The second one was Augustus. I, I always remember Augustus because on Christmas morning, my dad, we still make a joke about it. My dad's been gone for a number of years. But Christmas morning, my dad would always read the Christmas story. And he would read from Luke 2, and there went out a degree from Caesar in August. So we'd always make a joke, did Caesar get his, did, did Caesar get his degree this year in August? But it was Caesar Augustus from 27 B.C. to A.D. 14. Tiberius from A.D. 14 to 37. Caligula from A.D. 37 to 41. Claudius Caesar, Claudius Caesar from A.D. 41 to 54. Five of them had fallen. Five kings had fallen. Here's the mind that has wisdom. Five of these kings, have, there are seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, the other's not yet come, but when he does, he must continue to restore space. The sixth king in the line of Caesars that was in power during the time when all of this is, he said, five kings have fallen, all of these first five kings, and one is. The one who was was Nero from, 60, from 54 A.D. to 68 A.D. After him, Galba came. He was only there for a short bit. And there was, there was several rulers that, that came right after that in a short season. Now, let me just say this. Stay with me a moment. 
Nero was the sixth king in power. He's trying to identify who the beast is here, who the head of this beast is. And the sixth king in power, the one who is, was Nero. His name, Lucius Nero. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled, The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.